Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 121, entitled The Greater Good. And with that, let's get right into the Wikipedia summary of the episode. In flashbacks, Saeed is recruited as an informant by the Australian Secret Intelligence Service and the CIA, who ask him to infiltrate a terrorist cell in Sydney, of which his old friend Isam is a member. After they explain that they know where Nadia is, he agrees. It is revealed that after helping her escape several years ago, Saeed left Iraq and has been traveling the world trying to find her ever since. Saeed flies to Sydney and infiltrates a terrorist cell, telling the agents that Isam is in over his head and that he can bring him in. The agents tell Saeed to convince Isam to go ahead with the suicide bombing so that he will lead them to the explosives and uh, threatens Nadia's uh, livelihood when Saeed attempts to refuse. On the day of the attack, Saeed reveals he is an informant, and a distraught Isam kills himself. After Isam's death, the agents tell Saeed uh, where Nadia is living in California and hand him a plane ticket and money. Saeed inquires about Isam's body and is told that because no one will claim it, the body will be burned. Saeed insists on claiming the body himself, as Isam is a Muslim man, and Muslims believe in burial, not crem- uh, cremation. Upon being told that his flight is in two hours, so he cannot claim the body, Saeed tells them to change his flight to tomorrow, and they agree. Meanwhile, on the island, Saeed observes a mourning Shannon before asking if he can do anything for her. At the same time, Kate tracks down an exhausted and obstinate Jack. Jack blames Locke for Boone's death, but Kate pleads with Jack to return. At the beach, the survivors bury Boone. During the funeral, Locke arrives and attempts to explain what happened, but Jack ignores him and flies into a rage. Afterward, Jack explains that Locke is lying, but they insist that Jack must rest. Locke asks Shannon's forgiveness to no avail. Shannon instead goes to Saeed and asks if he could do something about Locke for her, implying that she wants him to kill Locke. Meanwhile, Charlie tells Claire that she needs to rest, and though reluctant at first, she lets him take care of her baby. Charlie has a tough time getting the baby to stop crying. He finally discovers that the sound of Sawyer's voice quiets the baby. Kate attempts to take care of Jack, who stubbornly insists he needs to deal with Locke. Realizing he'd probably try this, Kate drugs his juice and he falls asleep, leaving Saeed free to deal with Locke. Saeed arrives at the caves and begins questioning Locke, asking Locke to show him the beechcraft. As they walk to it, Saeed interrogates Locke, who realizes what Saeed is doing. Upon arriving at the plane, their cat-and-mouse game escalates. Saeed tells Locke he knows Locke has a gun, and Locke hands it over. He then reveals that it was he, Locke, who hit Saeed over the head, 
when Saeed was trying to triangulate the distress signal. This enrages Saeed, who pulls the gun on Locke and questions him about the hatch. Locke lies, saying Boone was talking about the plane's hatches. Saeed returns to the beach and explains to Shannon that he believes Locke did not mean to harm Boone. This prompts an angry Shannon to take matters into her own hands. Shannon steals the gun case key from a sleeping Jack and confronts Locke in the jungle. Jack, Kate, and Saeed arrive during the confrontation, but Shannon refuses to back down. Left with no choice, Saeed tackles Shannon just as she fires the gun, the bullet grazing Locke's head. That night, Saeed visits Locke, who thanks him for saving his life. Saeed replies that he did it because he believes Locke to be their best chance for survival. He then tells Locke to take him to the hatch. With that summary over, let's now move to my thoughts about the episode. Uh, as was the case last week, the previously unlost segment, if this is the first time that you're seeing what happened in last week's episode, you're basically screwed. Um, the episode proper opens with a close-up of Saeed looking mournfully on as Shannon sits by her dead brother. Is there anything sadder than a sad-looking Saeed? Not to get all kind of man love here, but just, you know, those sad eyes, it just gets you. Similarly, Maggie Grace plays Shannon so well, I almost regret the fact that the character has been asked to be so annoying because the actress clearly is skilled. Um, the flashback seems to start with a basic enough, uh, Saeed is a Muslim, so he's treated like a terrorist kind of storyline, but it then quickly turns to having a connection to Nadia, uh, specifically that Saeed must work for the CIA and the SIS in order to get info on Nadia's whereabouts. I couldn't help but think about the minor uproar that the series finale had over the fact that Saeed moved on with Shannon and not Nadia. Uh, it, it looks like this episode, though, starts to ponder that very topic, Shannon and Nadia and how they, how they relate to Saeed. Um, back with the, uh, the on-island stuff. Watching Boone's funeral, I was struck by how difficult it really must have been for the actors just to see one of their own written off. Uh, and indeed, how difficult it must have been for Ian Summerhalder to sit there and act dead on a show that had just got written out, got, gotten rid of him. Um, at any rate, I really sense that there's some real emotion in the scene, even out of the background people. You watch them and you know, they just look kind of overcome, which is understandable. They've been working with these uh, you know, main actors for, for quite some time now, and um, it just, you just get the sense that everybody's really genuinely upset. Um, and, and indeed, it just helps uh, speak to the emotion of the scene, um, you know, of this funeral. Then Locke shows up covered in Boone's still wet blood. We found a plane, a beach craft in the jungle. It was, it was lodged in the canopy, so I, I would have gone up, but, but I, my leg was hurt, so he, there was a radio inside. And he thought he could. Like, his weight must have made the plane shift. And, and it fell and happened because he was trying to help us. The reaction shots of the crowd watching Locke are just phenomenal. Everyone hates him. Everyone silently blames him. There's this wonderful tension in the air. And then Jack just explodes. It's backed up by the camera work, which again come, becomes shaky and jittery and in documentary style. Uh, this very kind of visceral moment that uh, 
really puts us in uh, into the scene. It's interesting that Jack pursues this line in his rage that because Locke died about how Boone was injured, Jack treated him accordingly. Now, I know there's at least one uh, medical professional who listens to the show, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong with what I'm about to say. But if you, I mean, is falling from a cliff on the ground, uh, falling from a cliff onto the ground, is that any different than being in a plane that falls from a cliff and hits the ground? You know, from a physics point of view, don't you still fall the same dif- dis- uh, distance? Don't you still stop just as quickly as you hit the bottom? You know, uh, I mean, whether you're landing on the the ground after a 30-foot fall or 40-foot or 50-foot, whatever it's supposed to be, whether you land on the ground or you land on the plane, which has just stopped as suddenly, isn't it all the same? Um, at any rate, it's once again unhinged Jack, um, you know, who who I find somewhat disdainful. Uh, but I suppose he gets a little bit of leeway given that he is still low on blood and blood sugar and, uh, you know, they've done this wonderful makeup job. His lips are still pale and he has bags under his eyes and this sort of thing. So, by the way, for the record, the first nine minutes and 45 seconds are technically the teaser act in the section. It takes that long to get to the main title, which is pretty, uh, well, it's a pretty interesting feat indeed. I know we still had main credits in the Michael flashback. I think that was about 13 minutes into the episode, but um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a long first act uh, to the episode. Anyhow, um, in the flashbacks, which uh, resume with Muslim prayers, uh, it does make one think about the interesting and daring choice to have the show, this first season, two and a half years after 9-11, this show, you know, so so recently after 9-11, not only features a Muslim character, but an Iraqi. And of course, you know, the, the war in Iraq was uh, fresh at this point. The show obviously takes the basic responsibility of having sight be reliable. You know, they're not engaging in stereotype. But the notion of having a terrorist-related storyline in this episode um, does have the show running into rather tender territory, and I, I compliment them big time for, for being that daring. Um, back on the island, there's a rather fortuitous shot of Shannon sitting on the beach, quietly mourning. Now, I say it's fortuitous because of the... the I wonder if perhaps somebody quickly jumped in and said now is when we need to shoot this because of the way nature was cooperating specifically she and her part of the beach are in shadow but the background is lit in wonderful bright hawaiian sunlight this obviously echoes her own situation and you know the situation of anyone who's mourning um not everyone feels this equally but the the rain cloud literally is above her at this point uh she's so tender and heartbroken uh, enough to make us truly reconsider her as the angry, spoiled brat who needs other people to do her dirty work. John Locke killed my brother. Will you do something about that? So obviously uh, we're meant to reconsider her for, for a short time, but then um, there's just that kind of stunning moment of... Uh, well, here she wants she wants him to she wants Saeed to go and kill Locke, uh, something which here she is back being the angry spoiled brat. The anger, of course, is justified, um, but here she is absolutely seeking out that you know the latest man in her life to do her dirty work. Um, you know, it's 
I don't blame the show for taking her back to her roots. I think that it's understandable, um, particularly in this moment of stress that she's feeling. It's it's understandable. It's obviously to kill someone in this situation is not justifiable, but the anger is, and they are in the wild to a large degree. So it's it's largely explainable, if not understandable. But uh, boy, it's just Shannon. Shannon's back. Um, Moving on, there's a great wordless scene where Locke is cleaning Boone's blood out of his T-shirt. Um, understandable. I mean, there's a limited amount of clothes uh, on the island, right? Um, Walt just stares at Locke, horrified, and they kind of linger on uh, Locke, you know, twisting the shirt and the blood continuing to pour out and pour out each time it's washed. Um Locke kind of turns and waves at him, and Walt just stares at him and walks away, you know, filled with fear. It's just this wonderful, uh, inspired moment of, uh, you know, you don't need the dialogue to 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 carry that, the awfulness of that scene. It's just, you know, yuck. Um, moving on, as the flashback story progressed, I really wasn't quite sure on its purpose. Maybe that was me being a bit grumpy. Uh, I mean, granted, it helps put Saeed in Sydney. Uh, granted, it helps, especially at the very end of it, it helps put Saeed on 815. And granted, there is some sort of musing over anti-Western sentiments by militant Muslims, which is uh, certainly, I mean, still pertinent today. Uh, perhaps it felt even more pertinent back in 2006, the, the, the winter and spring of 2006, when this would have aired. To me, it just doesn't quite feel as fresh. And I suppose that's a common complaint that I have about the... the uh, flashbacks that they're just not as i don't know engaging or interesting or whatever it might be but um anyhow it uh it it just doesn't quite the the flashback here doesn't quite shine uh i mean it doesn't give us that much insight into saeed other than he loves nadia which we knew he certainly is acting like a good guy i mean he's you know he's working for the good guys the cia and the australian sis he's trying to stop terrorism He's trying to find the best out of Esam, and he's trying to say, you know, Esam, don't go through this. Uh, he's trying to explain that to the authorities. Um, I don't know. Does it advance our knowledge of Saeed a lot? No. But anyhow, um, we do get some great Saeed on the island. There's this cat and mouse business with Saeed and Locke. Will Saeed kill Locke at Shannon's request? Now, that particular business does ring a bit hollow since we don't ever really think that's that Saeed's going to do the dirty deed. But Saeed's implicit interrogation is still just absolutely wonderful. Why don't you trust me, Saeed? For one thing, you've been carrying a gun you've told no one about. We found one of the smugglers about a half a click west of here, dressed as a priest, Nigerian currency in his pockets, and this. Now you're armed and I'm not. Does that earn me any trust? You gave this to me because I caught you concealing it. That earns you adaptability. Now, I'll just stop the clip there for a second. It's just, it's great to see Saeed returning to his roots, I suppose, just as Shannon is. Um, not that Saeed has returned to his uh, 
torturing roots but here he's just it's just this wonderful interrogation he's thinking so fast he's thinking almost as fast as the lies come out on how to take the lie manipulate you know understand what the nature of it is twist it around and put it back to lock again it's um you know we love saeed because he's so smart we forgive him for all the bad things that he's done because uh, it, you know i think that we understand that it was a matter of circumstance had saeed been born somewhere other than iraq uh, under Saddam Hussein's rule, he he might have been a very very different person overall. But that core, that good core, still would remain. Um, and you know, we see it here. He's not blindly following Shannon's uh, lust tinged uh, uh, request. You know, kind of this this implication of you know, hey big boy, you're going to stick with me for all the treasures that await. Uh, you know, take care of John Locke, won't you? Um, he's being even-headed about it. He's being good-hearted, but he's also realizing he's coming across some wrong, some lie, some evil, some something that he can identify because of his experience that says to him, you know, there's a there's a problem here. So uh, it's just it's just great. And of course, it then as the scene continues, and as I'll have the clip continue, it then leads to a. a a revelation to Saeed and a, a mystery answered that we've been, uh, we as first time viewers have been wondering about for some time. Okay, I'll tell you something you don't know. Please do. The first week after the crash, there was a cave in. Jack was trapped. You remember that? Of course. You, Kate, and Sawyer went out into the jungle to triangulate a signal. Yes. You were hit from behind, knocked unconscious. When you woke up, the transceiver, your equipment was destroyed. That was me. So I know the fact of this is something that we've discussed uh, before, you know, the whole nature of the podcast being looking back to the things we already know about. But still, this is the first time that the show has told us this. Um, and... Uh, I mean, I think it is it is fairly shocking the first time you see it. Um, it's just, um, you know, Locke then goes on to explain uh, how he was preventing uh, Saeed and company from heading towards this, uh, this, uh, um, this repeating radio loop saying, you know, they're all dead, it killed them, you know, that he was trying to keep them away from it. I personally don't buy that. I think that he was... He did it at the time simply just to keep people, to keep the status quo for everyone because Locke personally wanted the status quo. Locke maybe hadn't heard this call of the island, this divine John the Baptist type calling, and Locke just wanted um, to stay where he was in, he was master of his own domain. He had his body back. He was able to be the hunter, the provider. He was able to do every single thing that he wanted. Um, and the other 40, the other 40 some odd uh, uh, survivors be damned. Um, but, uh, you know, another takeaway from that scene is that Locke, Locke tells the truth about carrying a gun, granted when pressed, but he tells the truth about carrying a gun. He tells the truth about hitting Saeed, but then he tells an untruth about the hatch. Uh, when asked about it, Locke recognizes that he can't lie, that Saeed is able to pick up on these lies. So Locke says, rightly so, that the plane has two hatches, one fore and one aft. 
uh, you know, which is true. Locke is hiding the fact that he doesn't want to talk about the hatch by saying, well, you know, you know, Saeed says, you know, tell me about the hatch. What is the hatch? And Locke says, well, you know, a plane has two hatches. You know, he's not answering Saeed's question, but he appears to. Um, and indeed, Saeed appears to believe him. I, I wonder if that's just a dramatic conceit at that point so that we can end the episode with Saeed, uh, well, with the ending that we'll get to in, in due course. But um, anyhow, it is, it is true that, uh, as Locke says, there are, the plane does have two hatches. Um, the episode and the on-island story, uh, it, it smartly does spend some time with other characters. Claire is the new mother, Charlie minding the unnamed turnip-headed baby, uh, Sawyer's voice keeping the baby quiet, um, Jin, Michael, and Walt building the raft, um, and then comes just this delicious moment of foreshadowing. And I don't know if they were even serious when they, um, when they presented this. But uh, it's just this this delicious, delicious moment. So take a listen. What if a shark attacks? Sharks ain't getting anywhere near us, man. What if a shark attacks indeed? I mean, boy, does that bring back memories of season two? It's got to be the first episode or two where, uh, you know, there's the remnants of the, uh, of the, the raft. And then... I mean, I'm somebody, I have a, I have a fear of sharks. I, I think that it's based on when I was growing up, uh, I'd go fishing with my dad at the river and we would catch bluefish and he would very rightfully so say, you know, don't put your, don't put your hand near the, um, near the bluefish's mouth. Look at those little teeth that could bite all the way to the bone. And that's, that's fair enough for somebody who's three, four, five, six, right? Similarly, at other times we would go to the, the river and we would swim in the river and uh you know i'd say dad are there are there bluefish in the river and he said well yes you know there's there's bluefish in the river so in my mind i kind of would connect bluefish uh in the river and there being this threat right as i got older there was swimming in the ocean so what you know there are obviously bigger fish in the ocean bigger fish that can eat you that becomes sharks that becomes seeing jaws for the first time etc cetera, etc cetera. so anyhow looking ahead to when that uh, that episode does come, or you know, seeing the episode the first time where uh, the raft is exploded and the the Dharma shark appears, you know, it's just, as soon as they were in the water, I was concerned about a shark eating them, and then the shark, the fin comes along, and there's that moment where the you know the tail flashes by, and if you're able to hit pause, you see the Dharma logo, and uh, I mean, I'm probably spoiling this conversation for when we get to it, and uh, well, in 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 due course, but. Um, I just have this visceral memory of, oh my goodness, they actually did it. There's a shark in the water and it's coming for them. Um, and as I recall, they kind of go to some great lengths for you to see the shark. Like I think there's actually, you know, a shark, uh, you know, they have some sort of, you know, fiberglass shark body that they're dragging through the water at some point, some point so it's more than the fin. It's just terribly scary. But anyhow, here we are in this episode, Walt's concerned about a shark and it's like a shark indeed. You know, that I have no idea whether they planned to uh, resume that threat. I mean, obviously, they're heading toward the, the raft launching, and and presumably they know that the raft isn't going to get too far um, because they want to bring these characters back to the island. Um, they're going to be out, you know, floating uh, for, for infinity. But uh, a shark indeed. There's Walt. No one had a look ahead. Um, moving on, when Jack's gun key goes missing... It, of course, ends up being Shannon who wants a gun in order to, to kill Locke. Uh, 
it is of delicious, wonderful irony that she gets the when she gets the gun in the woods, it's raining hard, much like how she will end up being shot and killed in uh, perhaps 10, 12 episodes from this. Um, I have no idea if the show plan- had planned that far ahead to kill off Shannon, um, though, I mean, on the flip side, at this point, a second season, I'm sure, would have been guaranteed. I don't know if they were officially picked up, but I think that it certainly would have been safe to start thinking ahead about the second season. And the fact that here she is getting a gun in a in an environment so similar to where a gun will kill her, it's... Um, it just works. You know, we talk about are these things that are always planned ahead. You know, there's the notion in literature uh, that you, you know, you give the credit to the author, whether it's due or not. You you assume that this is part of, uh, oh, the majesty and the, 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 um, the wonderful way in which it was created. And even if the author didn't sit down and say, you know, oh, Shannon, you know, the authors of the episode, the producers, whoever, whoever the, has the authorial authority for this episode you know perhaps they didn't sit down and say ah we shall set an environment in which it'll be identical to the way shannon is killed you know it just works it matches up it's wonderful um moving on there's uh, the scene where shannon is holding the gun on lock it's a very very effective intense scene um you buy into the the mystery of the moment. Is she going to shoot him or not? I don't think that you really assume Locke is going to be killed, but you really don't have a sense, you know, particularly if you just kind of take yourself out of the notion that it's a show um, and you just really put yourself in the moment. You really don't know which way it's going to go. Um, that scene also ends up being shaded by Locke and Jack's struggle. Shannon does say, after all, that Jack said Locke was the liar. So to me, there's this kind of laying at Jack's feet, this crisis moment here, you know, Jack might um, be, you know, out to confront Locke over Boone's death and and why more truth wasn't told and this sort of thing. Certainly, Jack is not out to kill Locke. Now, granted, you might be saying at the funeral, Jack did put his hands around Locke's neck, which uh, is not a friendly gesture, of course. But I mean, to me, I, I, you know, I'm a Jack hater when it's time to be a Jack hater. I will call Jack trying to choke Locke. I will call that uh, grief and tiredness and disappointment and low low blood sugar, low blood content. You know, I'll, I'll give Jack the benefit of the doubt as somebody who was trying gallantly for many hours to to save Locke's life. Uh, somebody who feels guilty about it. Somebody who literally has given of himself, has given his own blood. Well, I'll give Jack the credit there and say Jack might have wanted to kill him at that moment, but but uh, rested, healed Jack is not out to kill anyone. But here things have progressed to that point, Jack, because of what you said. Because of what you said, now Shannon is prepared. You know, Shannon, the 19-year-old naive you know, pixie, is prepared to act on what you said because you are a lousy leader, Jack. Um, the, obviously... Uh, uh, Locke is not killed. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, the episode starts to wrap up with Sawyer reading a car magazine to the baby. And it's a bit derivative of Three Men and a Baby, where, of course, uh, a boxing article was read to the baby. I think it's something like, you know, it's Tom Selleck saying, you know, and then the champ, uh, slowed by blood loss, still was able to jab and jab again, breaking his opponent's nose. You know, it's this. This sort of thing that they're uh, echoing as Sawyer talks about, you know, 
um, the car's top speed and, and, and all that. But at the end of the day, perhaps it's derivative. It works. It's mean, quote unquote, mean, crusty Sawyer revealing his true heart and his true commitment to the group for all that he says about, you know, here we are stuck in the wild. Um, it's that lovable Sawyer that from day one we want to love because we understand his sympathies. Even if you think back to the first episode, Sawyer sitting there on the beach reading that letter. We don't know what the letter was, but that look of that look of sadness on his face, you know, you just you give him you give him the benefit of the doubt. Um the final flashback reveals, of course, the governmental ignorance of Muslim burial practices. They want to cremate the body of Isam. Uh, Saeed claims the body, resulting in his flight being rescheduled for tomorrow. And they don't kind of come out with bells on to say it, but clearly that's how he ends up on flight at 8.15 because of this simple act of kindness, which is what a, what, what a wonderful bit of delicious irony. Um, and then, of course, we have this wonderful, wonderful ending to the show. I don't forgive what you did. And I certainly don't trust you. And now, you're going to take me to the hatch. Hatch? I already showed you. John. No more lies. It's a very strong ending, uh, one that not only propels us to the next episode, as so many of these endings do, uh, and of course propels us closer and closer to the season finale, but it's one that does give us hope that not every mystery is going to last forever. And to me, that's the big takeaway. You know, I complained last week about um, last week's episode, Do No Harm, ending with, uh, you know, it should have ended with the fact that Boone was dead and take the take the energy level very low, but they want to get it back up again. So you say, "Oh my goodness, I must tune in next week." And that's Jack saying, uh, "That's Jack saying, um, you know, I need to get Locke or I need to talk to John Locke or John Locke did this, whatever it is." Um, that's not the case with this. Uh, the, even though this essentially does act as a springboard for next episode, if nothing else, it's saying this show is going to answer some questions. We don't know why the plane crashed. We don't know what this hatch is. We don't know what that monster thing is. We don't know who these others are. We don't know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, we're going to go look at the hatch. The guy that gets answers, Saeed, is going to get some answers about this darn hatch. So it gives us hope, uh, which, of course, as I think I said a few episodes ago, to me, that, you know, if you look at the hatch as Pandora's box, uh, Pandora's box, the last thing to come out was hope. And, um, well, <laughs> Said is, is uh, giving us hope to find the hatch and the hope that lies within, which, of course, uh, in my view, is Desmond, which I'll be, uh, I've been mentally developing this notion of uh, Desmond as a Christ figure. Um, and uh, the more we get to the Desmond episodes in due course, uh, that'll be a theory that I, I hope to discuss more. Anyhow, with that, the episode of Lost is over, but of course our podcast is not. Let me take a quick look at Lostpedia to see any little bits and pieces that I might have missed along the way. Uh, they mention, and this is, a, this is an interesting one, uh, an apparent continuity error arises when Shannon is shown to know the location and purpose of the Halliburton key case, which of course has the guns, when only Kate, Locke, and Jack, uh, around whose neck the key was kept, uh, had been shown to have this knowledge. It is not until season three's expose that we find out the reason. Kate had earlier let this information slip, 
when defending the measures taken to secure the guns. I would say that actually might be an opportunity for the show to have closed its own continuity error. So, I mean, on the one hand, you know, particularly in light of what we do here on the podcast and look at the show as a whole, fine, it's no, it's no continuity error anymore. It's not a continuity error because it gets explained away. But, um, you know, I, I think it was a little bit of a continuity error at the time. So we'll, we'll kind of let them split the difference on that one. With that, dear listeners, let's look ahead to next week. Next week will be episode 122, entitled Born to Run, a Kate episode. Uh, and then we will very quickly be moving to uh, the season finales. Well, you know, the, the two-part season finale. Um, I'll mention, too, the uh, Exodus Part 2 is a double-length episode. I will almost certainly podcast... I will certainly podcast Exodus Part 2 as one episode. So I'm assuming it'll be a, a, a significantly longer podcast because it's... it's um, probably about 80 minutes in length uh, the episode is, so the podcast will be quite long. How that affects my uh, release schedule, we'll, we'll see. My concern is that, you know, because I, I, there is a limited amount of um, storage space that I get each month from, uh, from Podbean, my concern is that after doing um, the Exodus Part 2 and its double length with the appropriate number of clips and all that, because I don't want to, you know, go cheap on the show here, go cheap on the podcast. My concern is there might need to be a week where either I'm, you know, worst case scenario, I'm, I'm skipping, uh, I'm skipping the week. Um, but probably if I, if I can't fit a whole episode, if I can't fit um, the first um, episode from season two into the, the space that Podbean gives me um, because of when it'll fall at the end of the month and it re- you know, I got a new new chunk at the end of the, at the beginning of the next month. Blah blah blah. Bottom line, I may do kind of a season two uh, um, preview episode or a fan feedback episode or this sort of thing. Um, something that'll be shorter in length, but just something where I'll say, okay, well, I know I have X number of megabytes left uh, for uh, for the month, so I'll kind of do something to fill that that won't be a full episode with clips and this sort of thing. So, just want to give you a heads up about that, dear listeners. I mean, again, unless I'm very short on storage space, I, I want to continue to have new episodes release every Friday. And if, and if, it, if it needs to be a different type of thing just to ha- or, or, or a shorter type of episode looking ahead or fan feedback or whatever, as I say, then, um, then we'll do that. Um, and of course, a reminder that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Fridays. Uh, if you're getting this from the Lost Podcasting Network feed, you know, I release it to the LPN on Fridays, depending on what time of day. That then might be, it might take, you know, till Saturday morning for iTunes to pick it up and, and blah, blah, blah. But that's when I'm sending these episodes out and then you pick it up on your end uh, as is convenient. Uh, if you'd like to give feedback, of course, you can feel free to say hello to me on Twitter where I am looking back lost. You can send me an email, either text or voice message feedback, or inquire about reading an episode summary. You can send uh, emails about, in any of those ways, to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can always visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost at podbean.com. And last but not least, you can always find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. I'll mention, too, that this episode was uh, recorded 
while um, how do I put this? Uh, while I recorded this episode, I also did a live stream on uh, on um, on uh, UStream, which is UStream.tv. Um, I think I might do that in the future, um, just for the fun of it. Uh, it, it. That also might be an opportunity for there to be some sort of chat room activity. Um, you can. Uh, follow you know if you're following me on Twitter I'll be announcing when I do that today it happened to be with 20 minutes warning um, but um, <laughs> and I had a total a total of uh, one people watch one person watching and that was me so anyhow um, <laughs> surely there will be more people listening to this when it hits the, the normal podcast channels than watched it on ustream.tv today uh, anyhow with that thank you as always for listening I appreciate it. Um, it's, it's just been, uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly nice to see people responding, uh, to the podcast, continuing to download from around the world. Um, and it's, it, it truly is appreciated. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, with that, I will see you all again next Friday for episode 122, Born to Run. Take care and have a good day. Bye-bye. Head. It's like a turn.